Joshua, I do the thing. Today I had on a guest named Jacqueline Semple, and she's someone who is a registered acupuncture therapist. She is, I, I met her a few years ago uh, at a volleyball camp, and she's very big into Eastern tradition and Eastern medicine. And so she is specialized in traditional Chinese medicine. And I was fortunate enough to have her on today and discuss kind of the, the ins and outs of acupuncture. And, and she was able to answer lots of questions that I was very curious about. And she's made it a goal of hers to kind of incorporate and include Eastern and Western philosophy and medicine and tradition into each other so that she can create a, a customized experience for each person that she treats, because that's kind of the, the juxt of Eastern tradition is to, to, to tailor a, a therapy for an individual rather than having a cookie cutter for everyone. And so I'll, I'll plug her Instagram really quick because I think it's very cool and very important. And so it's Jacqueline TCN, J-A-C-Q-U-E-L-I-N underscore TCM. And we talked about a lot of things in this and I enjoyed it very much. Um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, thank you very much to Jacqueline for coming on. I appreciate it a lot. I hope that we're able to have her on in the future. If you guys have any questions, comment them on the YouTube. Um, if you guys have any fact checks, I love being fact checked. I enjoy being right, but I enjoy being wrong maybe more because it enables me to be right in the future, potentially, uh, but also probably not. So thanks a lot. Much appreciated. Uh, hope you guys enjoy. Bye-bye. Okay, we're, we're doing it live. Here we go. We're live. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's something that I've been interested in since my, or I think before my trip to Asia, but especially during my trip to Asia, I developed a, a lot of interest in Eastern and holistic medicine. And so you seem like the perfect person to talk to about this. What, so what was your, what was kind of your introduction into Eastern medicine? Um, well, my undergrad at VIU, where I played college volleyball, which is how you and I know each other. Um, I had to do, I did a sport health and physical education degree. So a phys ed degree. And in one of the graduating courses, it was called spirituality. And I like kind of rolled my eyes when I had to take the course. Um, I had never tried like meditation or anything like that before. And by that time I was probably like, uh, 21. So it's a long time to like not practice any type of self awareness practice mm -hmm. and I remember my mind was blown trying meditation for the first time I had like almost like an out-of-body experience I felt so relaxed after um, and also in that class we dabbled in like a naturopathic doctor spoke to our class we had to take a weekend workshop and something that interested us so I got uh, I did my level one Reiki cert mm -hmm. dabbled in that um, we learned a little bit about herbal medicine around Vancouver Island. Uh, our professor actually learned from an elder there. And I just thought it was so interesting, this, this thought of traditional medical practices um, and medicine from a holistic perspective. So I always knew that my trajectory after that undergrad would be in the preventative holistic realm, but I wasn't sure exactly what. I didn't want to just funnel into physio or Cairo. Um, and I definitely didn't want to do the education route. Uh, I was more interested in the human body. Like I love anatomy and physiology, but how could I approach it from a holistic perspective? So that was 
probably the intro. And then similar as you, I went to India and I got like a 200 hour yoga cert there. And I dove pretty hard into some Ayurvedic medicine practices and thought it was really interesting. Um, so that sort of intrigued me a little bit more. And then I fell onto acupuncture. Mm-hmm. How'd you fall into acupuncture? Um, well, I guess I have like a, this, it's a long story. I'm going to try to make it really short. (laughs) But when I was 15, um, I was at the ski hill in my hometown in Fort McMurray and, uh, it was a really warm day in March and I was there with a few friends and we were being little shit disturbers and sort of like running around surfing on the ice. And the workers there were like, you guys, it's really slippery slow down. Someone's going to get hurt. And like a couple of my friends bailed and wiped out and we thought it was hilarious. Um, and I went to surf down this patch of ice while pulling a tube behind my back like, like this. And my feet slipped right up from under me and I fell on my back and totally smashed my left humerus into two pieces. I had a complete spiral fracture. I thought I dislocated my elbow at the time because your body goes into shock initially. So I stood up right away and my arm was just flopping. And so I picked it up and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I dislocated my elbow and my friends were like laughing. We didn't think I was seriously injured. I had to get taken to the hospital in an ambulance, had to get emergency orthopedic surgery. And anyways, I was in a cast, like a 90 degree cast for a month. And when they took the cast off, my muscles had atrophied so much that my brachial tendon was so short. My, it was locked at a 90 degree. So I couldn't Mm -hmm. do rehab. I couldn't do physio. They couldn't straighten my arm. And I was trying for like two weeks. I was devastated because club volleyball had just started (laughs) because I was in grade 10 and that was the biggest thing at the time. And, um, at that physio clinic, there was this Asian practitioner, a male, and I couldn't tell you where he was from, whether he was, uh, like a Japanese, Korean, or Chinese descent. Um, but he came over and asked if he could perform acupuncture on my arm. And I was terrified, but I was also a little bit desperate to get better. And I was really upset about the whole thing. So I said, give her. And after the first treatment, my arm straightened like 45 degrees. It was halfway there. Mm-hmm. Instantly, my mind was blown after like 15 minutes of needling. I got up off the table. There was like sweat marks, like dripping puddles by my arm. <laughs> I was so nervous. It didn't hurt at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great. And then the second treatment, my arm was completely straight and then rehab began. And I totally forgot about that experience. So I don't know if that planted sort of the seed in my consciousness of what acupuncture could do. Um, but that's sort of what introduced it to me initially. And I think that's how a lot of people get into acupuncture and Chinese medicine is some type of personal connection or it really helps someone they knew who had chronic illness or themselves. Um, yeah. So kind of a cool story, random. It worked really well for me. Acupuncture helped me with chronic nerve pain that resulted from that implant like five years later I'd get really bad bouts of chronic pain that would sort of knock me out for like a week or two at a time um and nothing was helping besides like gabapentin and saw a bunch of specialists at a bunch of nerve conductivity testing um couldn't sleep couldn't work had extreme skin sensitivity loss of strength all the way shooting down to my hand pins and needles numbness sometimes throbbing pain chronic pain is the worst neuropathy is the worst. So at least that makes me empathetic for the patients I see that have neuropathy and paresthesia and stuff like that. Um, but ever since I started acupuncture school in 2016, I've never had a flare up again. So it's really? pretty awesome. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you, so 
I know that there's the, so in, in Hindi, it's the, the Prama and in, in Chinese medicine, it's Chi. And, mm. and I, I kind of want to know what your perspective is on that. And it's this essence of life, basically. I think there's a lot of overlap lap um, because you just triggered like a memory in my brain of the prana and how in um, Ayurvedic medicine and yoga, they talk about all these, these thousands of different, I forget if they say meridians or channels that the energy flows through. And that's the same thing in Chinese medicine. So um, like there's, there's primary and main pathways that the energy can flow through. um, But in within those primary pathways there's all these other ways that they can connect so there's internal and external connections from the exterior of the body to internal organs so that's usually how we do tcm traditional chinese medicine style acupuncture is internal organ theory um with meridian theory so that's kind of how we can tap into the internal body um and i think to try and describe it in a way that's understandable for most people is sort of this there's new way of uh, a new research into fascia and how that's kind of like a communication network um, mm-hmm. in the body now. Um, and I would say that's probably the most, the easiest way to sort of connect it from traditional to modern perspective is I think that's what the channels and the meridians sort of what they discovered a long time ago before science did was the body can communicate to itself in a very, like any area of the body to another area which doesn't make sense to us visually because we can't see it with the naked eye. Mm-hmm. Um, but by stimulating certain areas of the body, you can communicate to the rest of the body. And I think we see that with fascia and how that can communicate. Um, and I love that overlap there too. There's actually a lot of similarities between the 12 primary pathways and these fascial lines or fascial trains that have been like really researched by Thomas Myers and other people. Um, if you put the pictures like side by side of let's say the bladder channel and the posterior fascial train, they're like the same. Mm-hmm. And it kind of helps now make a visualization of how this chi flows um, and communicates. Right. It's super cool because yeah, I think that that's that bridge behind, behind um, like so often you talk about Eastern medicine and holistic healing and people kind of, like you said, when you first experience it, you like roll your eyes at it and you're like, ah, whatever. Uh, voodoo wishy-washy stuff but in reality it, it's more and more there's there's coming this this bridge between the two the the eastern and kind of the western side and we're realizing more and more wow there actually is a lot of like there there's data that we have on this but it's not we don't talk about it in the same way we don't we don't see it in the same way but they're they're connected in so many so many ways and i, I think that's really cool and even so what you're talking about was the it's the bladder meridian right the yeah. Like going from your ankle into your ear and like if you have ankle pain and someone sticks a needle in your ear, you're wondering why the heck is that happening rather than... <laughs> yeah, or vice versa. Yeah. Actually, the bladder channel starts right here and then it goes around the back of the head, uh, down the occiput, and then, yeah, down to the heel to the, the large pinky toe uh, or the small pinky toe, the large pinky toe. Yeah. Um, and just to what you said before, like I find now, you know, Currently, right now, there's a lot of um, emphasis on anti-Asian hate crimes, and my career, my profession is pulling into that a lot as well, because Mm -hmm. I'm a white person practicing Chinese medicine, and I have to be, you know, I'm, it's my duty to protect this medicine and advocate for its, its, the merit of it and the efficacy of it, even though it's 2,000 years old. I mean, it's, you know, the scientific method is making a hypothesis and trying things out. And if it works, then you write a paper on it and you can prove that it works. They've been doing this for thousands of years with acupuncture. Like 
why is this point good for something? Because for thousands of years by using it, it worked. So, and even for diagnosis in Chinese medicine, it's based on pattern differentiation. So we're looking at the patient's signs and symptoms, the clinical manifestations that are happening, and we match that up to patterns that are based on theory. And then with those patterns, we choose uh, point prescriptions and points that match with that. So it's pattern differentiation and holism is basically the foundation of Chinese medicine, which is, is a scientific method. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, I just think because Western medicine kind of took the forefront for a while, they think that things from other cultures or ways of medicine or science from other cultures that are unknown to them are considered unscientific when it's just because it's not known to them. Mm-hmm. And then as more research comes to light, there's a ton of research on acupuncture and how it works. Um, there needs to be a lot more, but now that it's proven, now people are sort of accepting it more. And I think that's just when you kind of see this um, colonialism and racism, um, because now that there's a bit more evidence, it's accepted a bit more when really it's always worked. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very interesting. There's a lot of advocacy for this now. Yeah. Kind of like IMS versus acupuncture. People accept IMS sometimes because there's a bit more research behind it but they won't accept acupuncture TCM theory. So it's interesting. Yeah. What are the, what are the main differences bet- behind, between like dry needling and acupuncture TM? Mm-hmm. TCM, sorry. It's TCM. traditional, traditional, it's traditional Chinese medicine. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to, yeah. No, thank um, you. Well, the first thing is I think if, if you're someone who's had IMS and it's very successful for you, I think it's awesome. And I also think it's great that other health practitioners are using it. Uh, because it shows how effective it is and how it can really uh, make treatment plans more successful. Um, IMS is sort of based strictly on musculoskeletal issues. So pain, like trigger points are tied in there. Uh, Usually needles are put into a trigger point, stimulated to relax the tissue or the muscle, and then pain is relieved. Uh, Whereas acupuncture and Chinese medicine approach is, it's a lot more gentle like there can be heavy manipulation but not usually with tcm and at the same time we can be treating underlying what we call internal organ uh patterns or pathologies so you know if someone might have us like a sore let's say um upper back rhomboids occiput this is a really common area for what we call liver cheese stagnation so any type of emotional stress Uh, It can be related to how you sit at your work. If you're stressed at work, it's extremely common to have upper back tension. Mm -hmm. So not only can we treat that area locally, but then we'll address treating the liver with liver channel points, um, helping just to make sure that there's free flow of the blood and circulation uh, all over the body. We're going to reduce your stress, help that internal organ and treat the musculoskeletal issue where that whole theory and sort of like years, like we have to be in school for three to five years to learn this theory. Whereas IMS is kind of like a, I believe it's a 300 hour course where I, I believe 200 of the, or approximately 200 of those hours are done in like an educational setting. And then it's self-taught the remainder of them. And then we have uh, like a, it's a 1900 hour to 2200 hour school course. 550 hours minimum in a clinical setting uh, where you're doing the technique. So I think if someone's going to try acupuncture for the first time, why not go to a registered acupuncturist that's just far more specialized 
And again, nothing against IMS. I actually use motor point acupuncture, which is similar to IMS in my practice a lot in conjunction with TCM therapy because it is so effective. So I have nothing against it. I just think mm -hmm. there's more theory and you can treat the whole person with uh, TCM style acupuncture. There's also like Korean Japanese style acupuncture that's very effective too and even more gentle, which some people need more mm -hmm. than this like crazy stimulation just to relieve like a, a tight muscle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that I think that it's important to have a lot of the theory behind it too. Like I think that the, the philosophy behind that Eastern tradition and medicine really ties everything together. Totally. And what I love too is there's a, like you can, how I would approach and how we're taught to approach, like let's say pain and injury for athletes, there's can be a huge emotional component to even let's like for your example, if you were coming into me, you know, you were off playing pro volleyball somewhere and was it your Achilles that you yeah, I've done both of them. I have, I have some mad PTSD. Well, that's what I mean. So we even have to, what we call is assessing the shin. This always happens in a Chinese medicine or a, a TCM acupuncture appointment. We're actually looking at the patient. Is there like a glowing light in their eyes? Are, how is their complexion? How is their mood? How are their emotions? Especially with injuries, usually there's a, like a cycle associated with athletes. At first, there might be um, resentment or anger then you kind of flow through like grief, sadness, especially if you can't return to the activity or the sport you did, if the injury was bad enough, you might have to like change, change your route or trajectory with what you were doing. So always taking that into account while treating the injury. And then again, is there an underlying um, deficiency that we need to address with diet, um, acupuncture, maybe some herbs if you're, uh, if you have Chinese medicine, um, certification to be able to prescribe them. For instance, let me give you an example of this. So in Chinese medicine, the spleen and stomach, they're sort of in charge of digestion and they are in charge of making sure the muscles are fully functioning or strong. So people feel like their limbs are really heavy and their muscles are really weak. We always look at the spleen and stomach and see how they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then the kidneys are responsible for the bones and the marrow. So if someone has osteoarthritis or some type of bone related issue that shouldn't be happening at their age that isn't quite normal well let's address the kidneys and make sure we're supporting the kidneys and then when it comes to ligaments and tendons in your case uh or any type of ligament tendon issue that is uh governed by the liver in chinese medicine so we wouldn't only be treating the injury but we'd also be supporting your liver suggesting dietary advice to support your liver so that it can better um, control and nourish the tendons and the ligaments especially in the healing and the rehab process so essentially I should drink less. <laughs> Not only that, uh, liver is responsible for storing the blood too. So we'd be like, hmm, is there some type of like, is there enough nutrients in the blood? Is it nourished enough? Is, is the patient, are there a lot of dry symptoms like um, dry skin, dry hair, dry nails? Uh, mm. Do we need to be more nourished that way? So the joints and the ligaments are more lubricated um, and better uh, hydrated for their function. Mm -hmm. Very cool. What is the, uh, so you mentioned Shen and what, what is that? What is the, Shen is what like is that your, mechanism? Yeah. It's like, it's like your spirit. It's a combination of your cognitive functioning, your emotions, and it's basically how your spirit manifests through you. So for instance, uh, if someone's really, really, really sick, let's say like they're just super weak, you know, you look at them and it's almost like they're not there. They're, mm -hmm. 
or if someone's uh, really, really tired, like this is all stuff we look for. And then on the face, we look for luster, shine. Um, is there any color to the face? Are they really pale? Uh, if your shen's really good and functioning, like you're there, you're focused, um, you're able to think clearly, your, your judgment isn't clouded, um, your reality matches, or reality matches uh, like your thoughts, there's no sort of like deception there. Um, <clears throat> so that, that is the shen. And it can get mm. disturbed is sort of the, the loose word they translate by many things. If there's dampness in the body that's accumulated through our diet and maybe not moving enough, because if there's not enough circulation of the chi and blood, it stagnates and then that can develop dampness and phlegm. And then you get signs and symptoms associated with that. But one of them is like a foggy brain. Um, and I think we can relate to this. We've all had that at some point in our life where it just feels like you can't think clearly mm -hmm. uh, and you, your head feels kind of heavy. Same with the limbs, there's that dampness again. Um, so we can sort of see that and we're assessing for that as TCM practitioners in the consultation. Like how is their Shen doing? Um, yeah. Very cool. I hope, I hope that makes sense. I'm kind of like uh, just regurgitating all this stuff that's in my head as you ask the questions and I'm hoping it's making some sense. No, it's perfect. Yeah, totally. Right. I think that it, it lines up with a lot of the, the Eastern stuff that I've personally looked at. So I think it's, cool. it's very, very cool. It's cool mm -hmm. that there's a, like there's so many different components to it. I know that in, in TCM, there's like food therapy and there's cupping and acupuncture. And there's so many different ways to look at, at an individual and really tailor a, a treatment plan toward that individual rather than just kind of the, the classic, you're getting this because everyone gets this. It's, it's definitely not as cookie cutter. It's really customized. Totally. Like if two people came in with an ankle injury, I might use like similar points locally with the ankle, but I'd be using different points to like treat them holistically after we've done an initial consult to see what they each need. Yeah. There's even, I know that there's, um, I was fortunate enough by the, by us, our conversation being delayed that I was able to read a bunch of like articles on this. And there's a, there's a doctor oh, cool. out of, yeah, there's a doctor out of Harvard that's on, um, he's a neurologist, but he, his, his name's Dr. Quima. And he studies acupuncture and is, is putting together kind of a neural map of how everything works. And he's looking at the inflammatory response and an anti-inflammatory response and how like getting a, getting a needle in one place will reduce an inflammatory response in one place and maybe increase it somewhere else. You're always looking to, to kind of bring about that, that homeostatic rebound into kind of re you'd say readjusting yourself to kind of where you're meant to be. Hell yeah. There's a lot of neuroscience backing it up now, which is so cool. Mm -hmm. uh, acupuncture has an amazing effect on the central nervous system. So, you know, there's studies that say after 20 minutes of having acupuncture needles in, there's this trigger of release of neurotransmitters, like the feel-good hormones of serotonin, dopamine, endorphins, so the natural painkillers. Uh, so that's why people generally feel like, oh, at, at the very least, after an acupuncture appointment, they just feel good and they usually get a really good sleep that night. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it has a wonderful effect on the central nervous system and especially with inflammation. And uh, it can interrupt pain signals, especially with cupping and gua sha and even electrical acupuncture, E-STEM. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of um, support behind that for like chronic pain, neuropathy and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So is E-STEM essentially acupuncture along with a, a TENS kind of? machine or what's the 
I don't think they go as strong as TENS machines, but basically you put the two acupuncture points in and then you connect them with like, they look like tiny little car jacks, like little clamps and yeah. there's a positive and negative charge. And then we actually have this machine that controls uh, the amplitude between them. So it can either be like the patterns of how the electricity flows through. So it might be a dense dispersed wave or a continuous wave, meaning it's a constant stimulation. And we use that for some conditions or we use like a patterned, um, not position, uh, current, mm -hmm. a pattern current for other conditions. And, um, the intensity is just basically how fast that electric current goes between the two points that you've connected. So that can be really good for, again, numbness, tingling, nerve pain. Um, if muscles aren't being used enough, uh, let's say like, I don't know if, after, I used it once after a hip replacement, uh, the lateral, like the hip abductors were pretty weak. Mm -hmm. You know, they get cut through there. So glute med, glute min, piriformis just weren't firing quite properly. So we put those points in, making sure the, pa the patient has sensation there because you wouldn't want to put e-stim on someone who has numbness in the area. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, doing acupuncture, connecting the points. And then by doing that, you're basically increasing, okay, this is cool. You're basically increasing proprioception. So by putting um, acupuncture points in a muscle, and then you can also put points in where the, the nerve roots actually exit the spine. So let's mm -hmm. say, same example, it's the hip replacement and we're working on the glute muscles. I'm also going to put a couple points along this, the, spinal, the spinal column. They're called Kwatojiaji points. They're traditional points. Ex, they're considered extra points. Um, Huato Jiaji was a man who figured out that uh, if you put in points just about half an inch lateral to the lower border of the spinous process of different vertebras associated to where those dermatomes go or where those nerves innervate different internal organs or limbs, you can have a really special effect on that area. So let's go back to that example where it's a hip replacement. We're trying to fire the glutes. I'm putting needles in the glutes. Could, could add some e-stim, don't have to. Um, and then I'm also going to connect uh, L3 to L5. Those are the lumbar vertebra, Huatujiaji mm -hmm. points, as well as those uh, glute points. And then we're going to create that proprioception, that communication that's been disrupted from scar tissue and that surgical trauma to really try to emphasize complete healing so that the nerve signals from the, the spinal root can flow the way that they did before and hopefully have a speedy recovery with just healthier tissue because there's going to be more blood circulation, chi, and that um, information and communication line is being restored. I love using that for injuries, especially recurring injuries like ankle rolls. When you like keep rolling your ankle all the time, mm -hmm. let's try and increase the proprioception with the acupuncture needles that are stimulating the tissue at the area of the injury and then where it enters and exits the spinal cord with its nerve root. I hope that made sense, but it's so cool. So cool. Um, <laughs> in my, in my experience, I've been like with an Achilles rupture and having done it twice, the, you have to learn how to walk again, but it's not, it's not necessarily the atrophy of the muscle that's responsible, but it's also the atrophy of the, like of the neural pathways and the, the kind of reflexes in your spine. So I think that's a really cool way of, um, addressing and working on that association between the the muscle itself and the neural pathways that make that a habit like make that that movement of for me stepping up on my toe that that a habit. Yeah. i think i'm strong enough to do it now but it, now it's just a neural thing of i have to do it constantly i have to think about it constantly and even on the, the foot that i did two years ago i still have to think about it sometimes of 
having a, a full totally. bridge and and so that, I think that's a really really cool kind of combination and I haven't seen I, I haven't been able to find literature I would love it if someone is listening and they could send me literature on the relationship between uh, the neural atrophy and the muscular atrophy and kind of how those are laid and and the yeah. um, because if the, if the signals aren't coming from the brain and the, and the spinal cord to the tissue, it, it's exactly what you said. It, it reduces. It stim, its stimulus isn't as automatic as it used to be. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have to recreate. So you definitely have to do like the initiation from the brain that you're doing. Um, but I do think if you incorporated this type of acupuncture into your rehab program, it would probably speed it up. I mean, I can't claim anything. <laughs> I can't claim anything, but it'd yeah. be interesting. It'd be very interesting to see. And actually in America, there's a program called SMAC, Sport Medicine Acupuncture Program. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a special designation. And you can actually go on their website and search who has SMAC designations um, in the States. And there's a few in Canada as well, but this education is only offered in the States. Um, and they do that particular type of acupuncture. So if you w ever wanted to incorporate it, there might actually be some sports medicine acupuncturists in Phoenix. Whoa. Uh, that you can try. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. Yeah. Well, that's super interesting. I might have to look into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then again, with the Huato Jiaji points, there's that example of like something that they knew thousands of years ago. Hey, special influence on the lower body with like the L3 to L5 or S1 um, dorsal nerve roots, but they called them Huato Jiaji points. And now, like future, it's 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 all like the same, and yeah. it's it's so fascinating that they knew this. Like they were like kind of like frontiers of science back then. Like they created gunpowder. Uh, they created so much. It's just I think it's hard to communicate sometimes because the terminology with Chinese medicine when it initially started, the only way they had to describe what was happening because medicine wasn't a thing. They described it in relationship to nature. So that's why we have. Like the liver is the wood element because it has the nature and the characteristics of what wood also has. So they're like, oh, what we're finding is kind of like what we see in nature here. And this is how they passed it down, like through literature and storytelling and metaphors and beautiful, like poetic metaphors of how everything worked in relationship to nature, um, which I think is amazing. Uh, but I think maybe that's where there's that gap between communicating to other health practitioners in medicine so it's our job as tcm practitioners to be able to communicate in a way that's understandable but at the same time like be confident that there is merit and it, it mm -hmm. it's effective <laughs> yeah I th well i think the need i think that the the scientific current lingo the, the the current vernacular it's really it's very very technical and so i i've found a lot of use in in relating things back to foundationally naturalistic thing. So um, I did a lecture a few weeks ago and, and the whole, the whole thing is kind of about relating uh, the growth of consciousness to a, a, a tree and a tree's root systems. So we kind of have the conscious mind that's the canopy and then all of the resources and rain and such is supposed to, to dribble off the outskirts of the canopy and keep under it dry. And that's meant to, to force the root system to grow outward. So I think that using metaphors like that can allow people i think it's much more accessible to people rather than like a lot of the, the scientific vernacular it's, it's so technical because we're, we're finding out so much about it and so i think that that's kind of where we're at now in terms of if the the bridge between eastern and, and western medicine is that we're we're finding the bridge and how to explain things because as you've said these are 
tried and true methods over thousands of years. And China was the, like, it was the leading science. Like they, they had so much technology and like the ships that they had, I think I want to say it was like 500 years before Christopher Columbus discovered the Americas air quotes. Um, Mm -hmm. The, the Chinese took a, an even larger giant route around the entire world. And they found all of these, these areas and they just decided not to, not to continue with exploring them. And they didn't colonize them because it was kind of an, an elitist thing that the, anyone outside of China was a savage. And it was the same thing when they went to, like Cambodian saw Angkor Wat. They they write about how all of these Cambodians were savages, even though they had developed one of the the greatest um, architectural monuments of of all time. But yeah, yeah. So I think that now we're kind of in this state where we're 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 bridging the gap between the language of Eastern tradition and the language of Western tradition, and finding that Eastern tradition works just as well, if not better, than lots of the, the Western medicine that we're we're currently using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they complement each other so well. Mm-hmm. And like, I am, I would never advocate against Western medicine at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm never going to convince a patient to go off pharmaceutical medication that they require or uh, mental health medication that they require ever, ever, ever. But um, acupuncture and Chinese medicine can be such a complementary adjunct therapy to maybe manage any unwanted side effects or um, even often like reducing the need to have certain medications. But again, if someone needs a medication, I would never ever um, be trying to convince someone to go off of them. Uh, And what I find interesting too, at least in British Columbia, there's this modernization of everyone's scope of practice for health practitioners across the board. And you know, there's other health practitioners doing acupuncture, like in, in regards to IMS style. Um, and now acupuncture, like in our education, we learn a lot of, uh, there's like orthopedic acupuncture, which is like manual muscle testing, a little bit of exercise prescription and, um, uh, orthopedic assessments and stuff like that. So we all are starting to sort of mesh our practices together. Uh, and at all the different colleges of different manual therapists are trying to keep increasing their scope, scope to include more because what we're learning is manual therapy alone just isn't enough or our tiny little scope of practice isn't enough. We need to be able to provide more for patients for long-term success and care. And I guess like current research is now saying that for chronic pain, at least it, let's just talk about pain. Um, manual therapy isn't that successful for long-term cures across the board. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's more so for uh the research has been done more so on like massage pyro physio and stuff like that i don't think acupuncture has been included because we're still a little bit behind um, or just not accepted but i think we would be included in there as manual therapists because we do the cupping the gua sha so great sort of like short-term immediate results but what they're finding is there's these other pillars that need to be included in in treatment which is like for chronic pain patients it's mental health care there's a lot of mental health issues associated with chronic pain when it's really affecting your quality of life. There's usually multiple morbidities going on. So uh, meaning like they, pro- they might have diabetes as well, or there might be multiple sites of the chronic pain. Um, so there's dealing with the other associated issues. And then there's all the other contributing factors like socioeconomic factors, relationships at home, um, self-esteem, like previous mood disorders, like, 
we can't just have someone come in and get treatment and expect them to get better. They have to get moving and all these other aspects of their life need to be taken into account. So I think there's going to be a big shift, hopefully, moving forward where health practitioners are just communicating that there's more you need to do outside of treatment, the treatments itself, um, mm-hmm. and other things need to get addressed. It's, it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, like you said, there's, there's such a, there's so much complementary medicine that, that there's so much, there's so many complementary effects the medicine has towards each other. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we all just need to get on the same page and work together. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah we exactly. I, I think which we do for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned cupping. I know that for, for athletics, that's like a huge craze is, is cupping. <laughs> yeah trendy yeah it's awesome um i did a big like explanation on cupping on my instagram page recently of uh sort of like the scientific the more science explanation of it um but it's been used in acupuncture forever uh mm-hmm. and it's awesome it's very effective <laughs> what is the well i want to know the science and i want to know the philosophy like i want to know both sides of it so in chinese medicine and uh, acupuncture, we can use it to, yes, move what we call chi or blood stagnation, which usually results in pain and muscular tension, but it can also be used to remove um, external pathogenic factors. So let's say an example of that would be, um, you know, when you're just this, not talking COVID, but you know, when just when you're about to get the common cold, a very uh, common s- symptom of that is you get whole body aches and pains and usually along like your back. Mm-hmm. and the nape of the neck and stuff it's just general muscle aches and you're like oh like i'm about to get sick um so if you're in that stage of the disease where it's not fully in its full manifestation you're getting aches and pains alternating chills and fever um shivers and stuff like that uh you can actually put a cup or multiple cups on the upper back um on points that relate to the lung channel and also the channel that we call the dumai it's the most young of all the channels to try and suck that pathogen out of the exterior sort of level of the body before it penetrates deeper and create and sort of progresses into more of a serious disease uh that's when you like let's say it gets into the lungs and then you're coughing up a lot of phlegm or you get a really serious fever um you're basically trying to pull it out before it gets to that point and it can also have an influence on the digestive system as well. On the Western side of things, it talks about sort of what's happening. So uh, when you add this negative pressure by sucking the skin into the cup, uh, at a microscopic level, the venules, which are the smallest blood capillaries, burst. And that's when you get the red markings on this, the skin, the red potassier. Uh, and if you have hard enough negative pressure, you're going to have like the big dark purple bruises. Um, it doesn't matter whether you get the red spots to the purple bruises, the exact same mechanism is happening. Um, so you don't necessarily have to get these big crazy cupping marks, um, to get the therapeutic response that you want. So what's happening is once those blood vessels burst, um, histamine gets released from the cells and histamine is an inflammatory, uh, marker. And once that goes into the bloodstream, what our white blood cells flood to the area that's been damaged new red blood cells do uh then there's angiogenesis so the formation of new blood vessels to basically uh repair the ones that have burst the lymphatic system gets affected with cupping too because you're sort of pulling uh the lymphatic cells apart and more fluid can get rushed to the area so basically what you're doing is creating like a micro trauma um Mm -hmm. in order to uh 
sort of trigger a healing cascade. So the redness, the heat that is a result of cupping, again, that's from the histamine that gets released and it's good inflammation. It's temporary. Um, and that's usually why it doesn't hurt either. Like after you get cupping done, the marks shouldn't hurt. Uh, if, if they do hurt, it's probably just done too, at too hard of a pressure. Uh, so anyways, once that, that whole sort of cascade happens, basically what you want to do is encourage the patient to drink a ton of water to help the body excrete and sort of flush out all the metabolites or the damaged cell tissue that's been created. And then the result is like new generated like blood vessels, more blood circulation, more oxygenated and lubricated tissue. Uh, that's more hydrated. So it should be more functional. So if there was tension and pain or like fascial adhesions there before, ultimately the goal is to sort of reduce the, the, the adhesions and the stuckness so that everything's articulating a little bit better at that like microscopic, microscopic level. Mm -hmm. Hope that made sense. <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. I, uh, I think there's an interesting craze of anti-inflammatory and and I think that it's, it, it's, it's worth noting that inflammation isn't necessarily a negative thing. It, it depends oh, on- Oh, it's an amazing, is. yeah, mm -hmm. it's an amazing mechanism that the body has to heal and it has to happen. Um, you know, and usually histamine is associated with like, oh my gosh, a bad allergic response or something. Uh, but any time there's inflammation, histamine will be there and that's why you get the swelling and the redness and so necessary with acute injury at first. Uh, the issue is if it's prolonged and it's chronic and then it can wreak havoc. And again, this is, I have to say that my understanding is very limited. Like I have an undergrad in, you know, sport health and physical education with anatomy and biomechanics and biology and stuff. So, um, I can really only, I, I have limited knowledge as to like really what this breaks down to and what I've been talking from is just from like a professional development course and a couple like, so, you know, someone who has more of a education with this might argue, but I do know that inflammation is, it's, it has, it's uh, a very healthy uh, purpose and it's necessary. Same with fevers. Fevers are actually the body's natural way to fight off a bacteria before it penetrates and becomes like a serious disease. Mm -hmm. uh, they can be dangerous and life-threatening, but it is okay to let a fever run its course um, in order to like stave off disease and it, that's strengthening your body's immune system, especially from a Chinese medicine perspective. Like we either want to encourage the person to sweat out a disease and therefore like are accepting the fever or uh, yeah, sweating's a big one to try mm -hmm. and get pathogenic factors out. Yeah, I know there's a breathing method called Tumo, T-U-M-M-O, and and that's kind of the, the Wim Hof kind of does it. It's the Wim oh, yeah. Hof method kind of thing, and so it, it actually originated in I, I believe it was Tibet or Nepal. It was one of those. I think it was Tibet, but I could be wrong. And so the whole idea is that you want to kind of cause that that inflammation in your body by arousing your your body so much by breathing in so deeply and heavily, and so it's just this constant. <laughs> And you, you want to hyperventilate, you want to simulate hyperventilation so that you're, you're arousing your autonomic nervous system. And then that comes in and fights off any infection by just by kind of increasing inflammation. And so like I do that any, I, I practice that a lot actually with my, after my Achilles, because I, I had it surgically repaired. And so there's always this risk for infection. So mm. every few days I would just uh, 
try to play it safe and do some tumo breathing to try to interesting mm -hmm. yeah i'd imagine that like probably simulates the sympathetic nervous system too almost like that fight fight or flight when everything mm -hmm. gets heightened cool yeah. i uh i kind of wanted to pick your brain about something that it's kind of a, on that bridge of of eastern and western medicine and that i can explain it and i don't understand it but i in my experience it's been something that's that's helped me and um when I was in India, I uh, got my sound certificate, my sound therapy certification, along with my, my Reiki, oh. but I found sound certification super useful in, and then I went to Tibet and found some bulls. And so um, with my every morning that I'd wake up with my Achilles, I would, I would have to warm it up for like 20 minutes. It would take a long time to kind of get warm and kind of get into a place where I felt like I could walk normally. And then, and then I, I was, playing around with my sound bowls one day and put one onto my Achilles and played it and never again had that experience of having to warm it up. And Whoa. Think, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's so insane. And now I, I have a, a lot of the bowls are like, they're all, all of the frequencies are related to chakra, chakra frequencies. Yeah. And so I have one free chakra. I have multiple free chakra and, like I'll play them at different parts of my body and use them for meditation and, and kind of use them as a, as a sound kind of. So this one that I have is, is own the, the third eye chakra. And so it's 432, but I just have that all the time. Like I, I don't travel without it because anytime that I start to feel a shore shoulder or something, I'll, I'll put it on and play it and it normally gets better quite quickly. And I think that it might be kind of similar to that, uh, that, that disturbing the fascia and, Kind of recirculating blood and I, i'd love to know what you think about that that's so cool and maybe even similar to if i think about like easton like you're basically creating a currency or some type of constant uh stimulation into the tissue that's different that the body's used to feeling and therefore you're interrupting pain signals that are getting sent to the brain or i don't know <laughs> um so when you use it do you put the bull on the actual body part and then hit it and then mm -hmm. you let like the reverberations go through the tissue. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll put it. So my, so from being on crutches, um, I'm so pulled forward. So I have to do lots of back exercises and I'm really conscious of my posture now. And so, but I think my, my old physio thinks that I broke this collarbone as a young child because it's protruding and not flexible. And so, oh. yeah. And it's also my hitting shoulder. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just cascading cascading events and so um so it, it's always tight and so i'll occasionally put the bowl onto my just my chest area and then i'll play yeah. it and and that tends to help yeah that's an awesome squat to put it pec minor pec major mm -hmm. yeah that's so cool i know there's acupuncturists that use tuning forks in conjunction with mm -hmm. acupuncture too which is interesting so probably very similar uh to what you're doing but i'm not i'm not trained or educated to really speak on that but um i do remember it's interesting how you said you have that one bowl that you bring with you because when i was in india too and we were like taught to buy the bowls if we want to and yeah we were just sort of told to try out as many as we wanted and get the one that actually makes you feel good like mm -hmm. what one is your tone that yeah. makes you feel so good so that must be the one for you right now <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah it was uh yeah, I definitely, definitely felt a connection to it. And I spent, I spent a very long time finding the, the set that I found. Awesome. Yeah. I'm so, your... It's so cool that you tried that though. And it worked for 
like I, I'm not um, surprised at all that it worked. Mm -hmm. I think that's so neat because something has to be penetrating into the tissue and changing something mm -hmm. or, or at least changing the communication between maybe nociceptors, like the pain stimulus nerves uh, to the brain. Interesting. Right. And yeah, I'm like for for me personally, it was such a such a strange experience because I'm. I would say I I, I really like evidence. I really like to to kind of understand mechanisms and yeah. not only the philosophy behind it, but kind of what are the the cognitive mechanisms at play and the physiological mechanisms at play. And so, this is something that just like it. I, I love it, but it, it irks me in a weird way because I'm like I want to know what the mechanism is. I want to know why this works because. Clearly for me, it works and whether that be placebo and I don't necessarily think it is a placebo because it's, I mean, that's kind of, I guess what a placebo would be is that you think it works, even though it maybe it's, it's, yeah, I, yeah it's, it's working at a, at a cognitive level, not necessarily a physiological level, but, but this is something that I'm, I haven't found a significant amount of research for, and I just find it so cool. And I think that it really can, I, I think that it'll slowly make its way into kind of the, like you said, the, the conjunction of Western and Eastern medicine and kind of uh, complementary medicine, because I, yeah. I've even done it with friends before where I'll have a friend over and, and just do a big sound bath. And that's a really good way to, for people to kind of get into a meditative state and super relaxed, you sleep great. And, and so I, yeah, I'd love to know the mechanisms at play there. It almost seems like more of a somatic type of healing where it is like more physiological sort of symptom related and i do find that sometimes that healing can be so powerful where the, the really communication and speaking isn't involved and it's more of like feelings and sensations are being shifted and changed mm -hmm. um, and sound has the ability to do that and it's so powerful i've had unbelievable experiences by doing sound therapy like i've had people cry i've had yeah. people re do really interesting twitching and muscle movements i and yeah, like I said, it's um, unexplainable to me at this point, but the, the, the tangible evidence that I have is just the, the experiences and the anecdotes mm -hmm. that I've received from it. So it's, yeah, it's that's very always cool. frustrating because it, it's always amazing to have evidence. We all want it to like mm -hmm. prove that like, I swear this, <laughs> I swear this works. Double blind <laughs> clinical trial. It's, it's there. Yeah. yeah. That'd be amazing. You just need a mm -hmm. lot of money and a lot yeah. of resources. Maybe one day there'll be, hopefully one day there'll be something to support that for sure. Or maybe not support it, but at least the research maybe is done. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember this story from when you were, from like way back when, but you were, you were in India and you had a knee injury and oh, yeah. someone like instantly diagnosed you. What yes, that, that was a Reiki practitioner. So after my now husband and I, we hiked the Annapurna circuit. And after playing, like when I played volleyball, I remember the last couple of years, I had sort of like nagging, persistent knee issues. They never really could diagnose what it was. I got grassed in down on it a, a lot, just a lot of manual soft tissue therapy from a Cairo. And um, I did no stretching. So I know that has, <laughs> there was no prehab rehab at the college I was at. <laughs> until much later after a few national championships they finally started integrating it a bit more for the athletes but uh i think that had a lot to do with it but anyways i never if i wasn't playing and jumping all the time it didn't really bother me so the annapurna circuit was my first multi-day trek i think to date it was probably the hardest physical thing i've ever done in my life mm -hmm. um 
Uh, and I remember my knees were just so edemic. Like they were like jello pockets. You could see it like you'd poke your finger in the skin and there'd be like a dent there. They were not happy. I thought my patellas were going to like shoot out of my knees, but in particular, the left one was the worst. Um, and anyways, after we did this trek, we went to Pokhara and we were kind of just hanging out there and we decided to do this yoga retreat, which we ended up leaving after three days because we were young and we didn't like the, the strict regimen. That was almost like a, uh, like a cleanse sort of detox. You have to do an hour, no talking meditative walk in the morning, two little sort of guided yoga practices by the, the man. And then you live with his family and you only get to eat two meals a day that were vegetarian and very clean. And they cooked the food there. It was amazing. And their daughters were there. We got really close with their daughters that were much younger than us. They were like in middle school. Um, and it was lovely, but because we had just finished that hike, we were basically starving. We had lost so much weight mm-hmm. and we just wanted to like have beer and stuff because food is quite limited on it. We couldn't drink and we could only eat two meals a day. Like I was sneaking out, going to poker, like getting snacks on <laughs> free time and not telling even my boyfriend. I was like, yeah, I just went for a walk. <laughs> um, but anyways, you could also add to do little like treatments with, uh, the yoga guru that ran it uh, and he was a level three reiki master so i was like oh i know reiki i love reiki i'll i'll, I'll do one of those so uh, yeah i just fell asleep on the reiki table and it felt like i had been plugged into like an electric socket like i was buzzing um when i woke up it was so cool and i was very relaxed and as soon as i woke up he was well, he woke me up and it was done. I don't know how long I fell asleep for. And again, this, me- this memory is kind of vague. This was in 2012. Uh, but I woke up and he was like, you know, I had to stop on your left knee and I was there for so long. There was a complete energy blockage there. And I was like, what? Because I didn't tell him about my knee. I didn't tell him there was an issue. At that time, the swelling had gone down. It was like a week after the hike. And yeah, he knew. And he spent so much time there, which was so interesting because yeah, I've had issues with that knee forever. I still do. If I do multi-day hikes, it's the first thing that flares up. Um, but if I'm not doing certain movements, I never feel it. It's so interesting. So how you could identify that, I have no idea. <laughs> so crazy. is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got your certification? I did my level one like attunement way back when I was in college, and I haven't been actively practicing it. Uh, if anything, it would be cool to get into, but I'm sort of learning to navigate that um, introspective, uh, sort of energy awareness with acupuncture and like Qigong and Tai Chi are some practices that were part of our education that we learned to sort of like establish energetic boundaries and also be able to nourish yourself in between patients and, uh, like modulate and regulate your shit so that you're not putting your stuff on other people or taking theirs on. Uh, cause you know, you can deal with some pretty heavy stuff in, in mm-hmm. Um, in treatment so I think there's like overlap between those things so maybe one day I'll maybe work on my level two or maybe I probably want to get my level one again honestly to like tune it up a bit but uh yeah how about you how how like what did you get up to with your certs uh well I was so I was in I was in Rishikesh in the the foothills of the, the Himalayas and I I was there for sound therapy because I had learned to do it a little bit from this guy that I ran a hostel with in Vietnam. And he kind of told me like, you have to go to, yeah, like you have to go to India to learn sound therapy because it's, it's tough to find people that actually know what they're doing outside of India. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to go to Korea to play volleyball. 
Um, the coach of the team I was going to go play with got fired. So I kind of just had a month gap and then yeah. I went to, so I took a flight over to India and did my sound therapy. I just lined up that they had a spot opened. And so I did my sound therapy and then I was there for like, I had my whole second half of the day after my initial class. So I did sound therapy and then Reiki. So I got my, my level two certification for, so I can, I can practice both of those. Um, for, for both Reiki and sound therapy. So that was a lot of fun and very cool. I think I actually might've gotten my level three in Reiki. Um, and then after that, I went and did a Vipassana meditation retreat. So nice. that was very cool. That's a but, silent meditation retreat, right? Yeah, that's the, that's the 10 day thing. Wow. Yeah. How was that? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> very, very interesting. Same thing. Um, you're meditating for 14 hours a day, I think I probably got up to 16 um, because there's literally nothing to do. Like you just have this tiny dorm and you're by yourself, can't speak to anyone, can't read, can't write. You're by yourself for, and, and you only sleep for four, six hours because you're meditating all day. So I think that it kind of reduces the necessity for, for that sleep. Um, and then yeah you're fasting so you're you're eating two meals a day and you have a like four hour eating window and yeah i think i probably lost 10 to 15 pounds of like i had been working out the whole summer been i'd been working out the whole year the whole summer kind of trying to come back from my my achilles and getting ready to rehab and i was in really good shape i went in and just lost everything oh yeah yeah Oh, but I've heard it's pretty amazing for just dealing with your stuff, dealing with your shadow work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like just being forced to sit with your little demons mm -hmm. and the voices and, and also learn to be your, your best friend and your biggest supporter. And yeah, mm -hmm. silence, yeah. Is, silence is a seriously powerful practice. Yeah, I could. Yeah. There's just so much clutter, I think, in people's minds that you don't you don't realize until you're really with yourself. I like I could rewatch TV shows in my head. I there were songs that I could I knew every word to songs and every tone that I I didn't even remember ever hearing. Um, wow. They weren't they weren't my favorite songs by any means. But oh, you mean like that was flashing up, like that you were just like oh all the time. Yeah, it oh, wouldn't cool. stop. And like I, yeah, like I went through all of Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> all of Rick and Morty, like episode by episode, like at an accelerated rate, but I was I, like, I could see everything. I could hear everything. Um, yeah, it was, it was very interesting. The hmm. personal conflicts and, and such. It was, uh, it, it's so strange because I, it, it's interesting to talk about because I, and it's kind of something that they, they advise there is that don't, don't really tell people about your experience in here because then people come in with ex this expectation that they're going to, like they're going to have this spiritual awakening or they're going to, right. to, to pull themselves up. And, and it's, so I've, I think I've only told maybe, maybe one or two people kind of the, the really deep down stuff that happened in there. And that's mostly I've told those people just so that I don't feel crazy by having those like only to myself. Um, yeah. Because I, I need people like other people to know so that they can kind of be like, Whoa, that's cool. Rather than me just constantly being like thinking about whether that actually happened or not. Um, mm. Mm. yeah there were days where I like only spoke Spanish to myself like my entire my entire inner dialogue was only Spanish and <laughs> wow not being English yeah it was yeah. it was a it was a very cool experience uh yeah I cried a lot um yeah not that I not that I don't 
like I think I cried relatively easily, but yeah, cried a, cried a decent amount in there. Yeah, it is good. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's just a, it's an emotion you have to feel it. It's an something that you feel when you're overwhelmed, I think, and so being able to let that out kind of re-regulate yourself brings you back to that homeostasis. Totally, and even just speaking about emotions and how you said even with sound therapy before that people have cried the same thing can happen in acupuncture like out of nowhere i've had people burst into like crazy laughter out of nowhere i've had people burst into tears sobbing um and they don't even know where it's from but it's almost like that animalistic instinctual response where you know like sometimes animals after they're in like a fight or flight state if they survive like a predator after them or whatever they'll literally just stop and shake it off and mm -hmm. move on I think when you have practices that really change the energetic field, and I'm not talking about energy is like, woo, but like we are, we run on energy. Our heart beats on this electrical pulse. There's electricity current flowing through our body constantly. If it wasn't, we would die. And you know, we're, what is it like eight, almost 80% water. That's a conductor of electricity. So when throw an acupuncture needle in there, that's metal, you're going to really like shift the way everything's flowing. And what are, emotion is it's just energy in the body and if you don't let it out it gets stored so sometimes i think these frequencies whether it's sound or uh, a metal needle sort of changing that electrical current if there's something that hasn't been left out and it gets stirred up and you're not ready for it it can just sort of manifest and mm -hmm. purge right out yeah um, and all it is is it's energy that's why sometimes i've i did this uh course have you heard of commune it's like this free online healing thing i don't know you can pay for a membership and i tried one of their free courses just to see what it's about and this practitioner was teaching about um, anxiety and i thought it was really cool because she was saying how um anxiety often there's just like this excess internal energy and then if it, it gets super overwhelming and sometimes if possible if not to that point of like going into full like a attack mode um you can actually use that energy and do something productive with it. So if you are someone who has a bit higher energy and are more, more prone to emotions like anxiousness and anxiety, well then you can like funnel that extra energy into areas of productivity. Or if you feel that extra energy coming up, know that you need to move and you might be able to manage that energy a little bit more because if you don't, it's just going to get stored and sort of like compound on itself. And then it's, it's not manageable. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was very interesting because again, it's just talking about how emotions are energy. That's another cool thing that I, I liked about one of the posts on your page where you talk about food therapy and kind of there's this, uh, the idea that if you're a very kind of anxious, angry person to not eat spicy food and mm. to not eat hot food. And if you're someone that's, that's generally um, of lower affect and maybe depressed then then to start eating warm food more to kind of try to, try to channel that that homeostatic rebound mm, yeah so you can sort of change your diet and what you eat in chinese medicine a lot it has to do with like the seasons uh which physiological function you're trying to support or change um and also you can eat for the mood too and there's tie over a little bit too with ayurvedic medicine so you know figuring out your dosha and if you're pitta or fire then yeah you need to mm -hmm. eat all those spicy caffeine, alcohol, all those things in moderation because it's basically like adding fuel to the fire. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a pitta. 
I love all the uppers, the exciting things, um, all the big flavors. Uh, but I do find that I get overstimulated if I have it. Like if I have spicy food, I just sweat instantly. And some people can have spicy food and they're like, oh, it's so warm. I love it. And I'm like, I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> so yeah, it's like learning that, that self-awareness so that you can just be in that homeostatic, uh, harmonized state. And then it, because if you aren't, then that's when it starts affecting your mood too. Like if you're constantly eating something that your body gets triggered by or is sensitive to, or it causes inflammation or it causes um, discomfort and pain, that's eventually, if you're doing that chronically, it's going to have an impact on your emotions and your sleep and energy mm -hmm. levels. And because you're constantly draining your energy by causing this um, reaction to something your body doesn't really necessarily agree with. And we're not taught to do that in our Western culture. We're taught that like more is more and eat everything you want and, you know, have all the foods. Whereas in other cultures, it's, yeah, you change as you age, you change with the seasons. Um, there's food prep and how you eat things is there's method to it. That's why like, you know, sauerkraut with like bangers and mash from the European sort of side. And then like, that's a, that helps you digest it. And then let's think of sushi. There's this, ginger and wasabi and sesame seeds all these things and the soy sauce obviously those are all part of the meal strategically to help you digest it in a better way and if any of those components are removed it doesn't digest as easily um which i think is so cool about traditional um food culture and how it's mm -hmm. prepared yeah i think one of the the cool things about all of these up and coming different areas of expertise and like science and and um like health medicine is that we're, we're able to optimize a lot better the more that we know about like sleep the more that we can optimize our our anxiety levels and there are all of these different like so many different areas that are connected in different ways at different places that like once you kind of figure I, i've met people that have kind of slowly figured everything out and once once you have everything figured out and you're able to optimize people are just like it seems like people are bulletproof <laughs> Bulletproof is a thing too. Bulletproof coffee. Yeah. Yak butter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just got to find out what works for you. Like I just tell my patients, you know, you can go down a rabbit hole with diet and recommendations and things you can find online. And it's all about like what genuinely makes your body feel okay. And like it's functioning its best and stick to those things. And as you change, those things will change. Like mm -hmm. nothing, you can't stick to the same thing for chronically for too long. Like, you got to adapt with how things change and how your uh, life circumstances change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't want to keep you for too long, but do you have a, a few more minutes? I want to talk about menstrual pain and acupuncture. Okay, Sure. Do you have time for that? Yep. Let's do it. Killer. So I, cause in the, I, I read one of your posts where you talk about kind of the, the Western way of treating it and you're taking pain medication and, mm -hmm. and, the, the acupuncture method is trying to, to, to assess that pain and to find a, a different means to address that, right? Yeah. So what I thought was interesting, just, and here's my own experience, and I, you can't, have, just because I'm a Canadian, like a white Canadian girl, doesn't mean my experience is the rest is everyone else's, because mm -hmm. we all come from very different family dynamics and cultural backgrounds. Um, but uh you know, the period was seen as just something that was a bit of a nuisance. No one really talked about it. Uh, you know, if you have pain, take a bunch of Advil. 
Um, or if you have any issues, the best thing to do is to go on birth control right away, which is what I did. Um, because that's what my sister did. She had very like crippling cramps. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was sort of the answer back then. There was no other methods to explore. First of all, I'm not against birth control at all. Everyone has the right to choose whether or not uh, they want to have children, 100%. Mm -hmm. And if birth control helps you with your uh, menstrual issues and you're happy with that, then it's totally fine. What I was surprised to learn when I was in school for Chinese medicine is that in China, uh, and in this uh, medical theory, the menstruation is considered basically a vital sign. It's almost as important as your pulse. Like they're always asking, and we will always ask about a female, a, a menstruating female's uh, menstrual cycle. What's the quality of the blood? How long do you bleed? What's the amount? Because those signs and symptoms tell us all different information about, um, about the person. And it's an act, it's like a diagnostic tool. And our, our professor who is a doctor of Chinese medicine from China, she said that in China, like if a female's period disappears, they're running to the hospital being like, Oh my gosh, my period isn't here. It's really light. Like what do I need to do to get it back to like how it should be? Um, and then here it's like, I remember so many friends taking the pill to skip their period because they didn't want it. And they would do that all the time. And, uh, but there's all these sort of conflicting theories. Like I remember asking my doctor about that, whether I could do it when I was younger. And they're like, you know, like there's potentially, there's a higher incidence of ovarian cancer or cervical cancer because women are getting way more periods, periods than they used to because they're not having as many children as they did a hundred years ago. They're like, you know, at your age at 25, you might have four kids by now, a hundred years ago. Um, and maybe that's why the incidence of these cancers are higher. Um, so there's all these different theories, but anyways, so Chinese medicine, vital sign, uh, you know, the period it shouldn't have pain all the time, every single time. Um, it, uh, it, it should be a bright color, healthy blood color. Uh, it, it, it is normal to change. Like as this sort of, as the period ends, the color does change. The consistency does change too. Like as it's sort of going away. Mm -hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, Chinese medicine has a phenomenal effect on gynecological disorders. So, uh, even for me, I'm susceptible to getting menstrual cramps. So I'll usually throw in a few points and it's manageable. I usually don't have to take painkillers if I have acupuncture. Um, and say if I only do acupuncture once for brief, maybe I have to take one Advil if I want to, but like, I don't need to, they're super manageable. Mm -hmm. Um, you can change the quality of the blood, the cramping, the locations of the cramping is treated in a different way. So if it's like more frontal, um, we treat it, we treat like the sort of ren, spleen, liver channels. If it's um, the, the low back going down the legs, we might treat the kidneys a little bit more. Um, sometimes women get it in the, the thighs as well. So it all depends. So we would address and change or treat each person differently depending on how the pain manifests. If it if you get pain before the onset, during the onset, or after the onset, those three things mean different patterns. So we treat those differently too. So usually if it's before, that's just chi stagnation. There's like a traffic jam. And as soon as you create um, flow, the pain subsides. So we treat that a different way. If there's pain during 
again, we want to just help that flow a little bit better so that it's smooth and um, there's not like a traffic jam. You want smooth traffic out of there with the chi, the blood. Mm -hmm. And then if there's pain after, that's usually an association with some type of deficiency. So in Chinese medicine, that might be called like a chi or a blood deficiency. Um, and that's not necessarily meaning you're anemic, uh, but something is missing in the quality of, uh, of the blood or the chi that if you're more nourished, you might not have that pain after. So again, looking at diet. And I think it's important, especially if like, I'm not sure who most of the demographic is that you reach with the podcast, but. Me neither. Um, <laughs> female athletes in their period. It's so common for highly competitive young athletes or even pro athletes. They don't get their period because their body fat percentage is so low and you know there might be some implications for that for the future of like fertility issues and you know it's sometimes it's it's I'm sure it's probably hard with how high of competitive competitive athletes you can be like if you have no body fat percentage you probably won't get a period um and anyways I know like for younger athletes that's con that's okay and considered normal in the or oh I don't know it's, it just seems so backwards to me now that I have this other sort of lens and view mm -hmm. of looking on things. Um, so, and I do think that if there are young athletes out there and it's getting more and more common to be vegetarian or vegan, like young females. And as a menstruating female, if you're an athlete too, that's just something to consider to make sure that you are fully nourished with whatever your diet is, getting the protein that you need, the fats that you need in order to keep the menstruation happening as best as you can. Mm. Yeah, I think that often it's such a taboo conversation to have. And I mean, I I don't really have the conversation a lot with women. Um, so, <laughs> I love that we chatted about this. Yeah, like it's, yeah. Something, that I, it's something that I'm very interested in. I've, I've done enough research into the, the increased rates of ovarian cancer and then even how there's a, a high rate of breast cancer. If you are avoiding your period, there's kind of a... Oh. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I think the original birth control was actually created by a he was a Christian fella. And mm -hmm. so he was a part of the church and the church really had a lot of backlash against that because their, their ideology was that, 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 that shouldn't be, that women shouldn't be hindered in any way to produce children. That was kind of the philosophy. And so, right. so he went through a lot of difficulty with that and kind of getting it onto the market, even though for him, it was a, from a moral perspective, it was something that increased quality of life for people because if you don't want to have children and you, end up yeah. having children at a young age there there's tons of data and research to to, to indicate that like if if we have kids later then they tend to be more successful you tend to be more successful all these other things but totally yeah. and that's yeah. that's why it's awesome too mm -hmm. like yeah seriously it's giving, it, it's giving everyone a choice and yeah for sure improving quality of life if that is your choice if, mm -hmm. if that's what you want um i think yeah with chinese medicine and birth control or chinese medicine and the menstruation I think if you're a female out there or if you're a menstruating person, whatever you choose to identify as, um, if, if you have polycystic ovarian syndrome or something that's idiopathic in Western medicine, if you're constantly in pain or super heavy periods that just aren't normal, like if it's affecting your quality of life and the only answer with Western medicine might be to put you on birth control, if that's not good enough for you or if you don't want to go on it, try exploring Chinese medicine acupuncture or especially a Chinese medicine practitioner that can prescribe herbal medicine because I've heard phenomenal things um, with the application of herbal medicine in conjunction with acupuncture to really change um, the manifestation of your menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. Like there, there are options which uh, that 
are definitely worth a try if it's really affecting your quality of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, generally, I, I think the like the route to that is just having conversations about it because it's it's so taboo and um, it's easy enough to ask why it's taboo. And I think that a big part of that is people don't like blood, and maybe that's the issue. But but I think yeah. that it is like unbelievably important to have conversations about it because, like you said, young women are are there. There's some imbalance if you're not having your menstrual cycle and you're not on birth control or like you're, you're a young child, not a young child, but like a, you're, you're, a, you're a young woman and, and that's a, a natural part of life that people should have the opportunity and, and the encouragement to speak about. Yeah. I think it's important to say too, that when you first get the onset of your period, it's going to take a few rounds for it to normalize itself. And I don't think mm. we're taught that either. Like if, a hormonal feedback loop is working for the first few times. Like think of a machine's kind of like first turning its gears. It's not yeah. going to be fully functioning the first few times. Like, and it might be painful and there might be some discomfort and yeah, there's going to be some crazy emotions involved and that's okay. Like give yourself a year even like give yourself maybe 12 cycles before you think I just want this gone because maybe the hormone food feedback loop system is going to regulate itself a little bit better. Like just give yourself the time. Or if you're a mother of a menstruating uh, child, like maybe consider that too. If you know, we're starting to get periods sooner too. So Mm -hmm. like, do we want anyways, Again, I'm not against birth control. I, no, that's I such a good point. I think that's a very good point. Yeah, and that's what I learned when I was in Chinese medicine school too. And I was like, oh, that's so true. Like even for us, if someone were to come in and be like, oh, my period is so irregular, I really want to address that. Well, I would be like, okay, let's track it for three months because if it's just early once or if it's just late once or if it's super heavy, just out of the blue moon, that's not necessarily unnormal to us. If it happens three times, three cycles in a row that these patterns are happening, okay, then we have some like, it's almost like doing research. Okay, here we have some evidence here. Mm-hmm. Did this three months in a row. Like there's different factors that are going to change your menstrual cycle. Stress can, moving can, your diet, like that might make it very irregular once, but sh- track it at least three months, keep track of everything. Um, and then you kind of have a basis for treatment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know, I know lots of girls that first thing they had their period they jumped on birth control right away because like you said it was really heavy flow and they they couldn't deal with it they couldn't deal with the pain they couldn't deal with the blood and it was it's all very frightening i would assume i obviously don't have experience with that personally but i assume that it's very frightening and so i know lots of people that just want to kind of get it out of the way yeah and i can imagine like you know like my parents are baby boomers and children of baby boomers and like we didn't really talk about it all that much. So if as a parent or if your parents weren't openly talking about every little detail about it to make sure that you were fully aware and like, okay with it as a young person, then you have nowhere, like where do you have the information or the resources, right? To Mm -hmm. make that educated decision for yourself or like know that it's okay and have that support. I'm not blaming our parents. I'm not blaming the education. It'd be nice if there was, more things included in the education system. But I think so much gets thrown on the education system that that's not fair. It shouldn't only be up to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Like exactly what you're doing now. I'm so glad you invited the topic of discussion because it just needs to be included in, in the discussion more that it's just, it's a part of life and it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's how we procreate. (laughs) It's necessary. Yeah. It's a natural process. 
It's a very um, natural process. The younger generation is doing a good job. There's like a lot more awareness and openness and sort of there's an, a more liberal pr- approach to like everything. And I'm loving it mm-hmm. uh, of the younger generations for sure. The platforms for access to, to information are just unbelievable. You can go on TikTok or Instagram and, and find almost anything and find any information on anything. You can find any niche. And, and I think that's an important, I think there's a very, a very important kind of visual um, informational uh, kind of cross section they're they've been woven together and i think that like youtube tiktok instagram like that visual platform and that auditory platform of the same thing as podcasts is i think that that's going to over time it's going to take over books like people are like there's no there's no point in reading anymore if you can just listen to everything and you're you're converting uh, a few like a few hours per day maybe of your um your commute to work you're converting that time now into information that you're getting through these yeah. mediums and so and just hoping that it's good information because there's yeah. even me, like one thing I wanted to say before we ended this is like, I've just, I did my best to communicate my limited knowledge. I'm like a specialist, you know, I went to school for like four years for traditional Chinese medicine and I'm still continuing my education all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but this lineage is I'm in my infancy of my understanding of it. So I've communicated, communicated it in a way that I've understand standard it and I hope I did it justice and I'm going to continue to educate myself more and uh and same with my tidbits even on like the science the, the limited knowledge I have with my underground and uh, undergrad and uh how I keep up with it so I hope I didn't offend anyone and I'm totally okay with being fact-checked <laughs> but what I know uh I'm not claiming that it's mine this is like coming from thousands of years of the Chinese medicine lineage uh and uh, I think as it gets passed down through generation, it's constantly getting changed. So for the better, modernize and change to be more applicable. But at the same time, I hope that foundation and the beautiful theory and why it works in the tradition is kept uh, because it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very well put. Do you want to, do you want to finish there? Yeah, I think that's good. Lovely. I mean, I can chat all day, but I can't, I have stuff. I need yeah. To do. Yeah. Go, go do your stuff. I don't want to keep you. Thank you long. so much, Josh, for this opportunity. It was so nice to see you again. And I, I think it's so amazing. You're having these really beautiful conversations with all different kinds of people and just everything you've articulated and everything you've done and what you know, it's so cool to see just, you know, how far you've come and I've come since the last time we saw each other in 2016. <laughs> long time. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for coming on. I was, super interested in this. I had been reading your posts and kind of following along with your journey for a while now. And I really wanted to get your perspective. And, and I think the timing came at a very, um, very serendipitous timing with what's happening in the political spectrum. So I think, yeah, that, I think that this information is, is intangibly beneficial for lots of people and kind of the opportunity to understand more about the Eastern philosophy and Eastern religion is becoming more and more of a part of Western culture, I think. And so the opportunity to have you on was, it was very important to me. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah. If people are interested and just love the sort of learning more about it, that's kind of what I've made my Instagram, my professional Instagram for. It's basically traditional Chinese medicine education for the average person. So Mm -hmm. if you just want to know more, I usually drop like two things a week. uh, That's just taking little chunks of the theory so that if you do get acupuncture now, you're like, oh, that's what they meant when they talked mm-hmm. about that. Um, what's your just handle? Just trying to mainstream it as best as I can. <laughs> what, what's your handle? Plug it. 
It's Jacqueline underscore TCM. How do you spell uh, Jacqueline? J-A-C-Q-U-E-L-I-N-E underscore TCM. Perfect. Awesome. Sweet. Thanks okay, a lot. Well, thanks, Take yeah. care. I hope Bye. to I hope to do this again sometime. That was awesome. Sure. I really appreciate Maybe it. Maybe in like five years, see how much we know then too. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm Maybe sure I'll know nothing. Smarter. I'll probably <laughs> okay. I'll probably know less. <laughs> yeah, we're, there's always more to learn. It's the Socratic paradox. All yeah. I know is that I know nothing. <laughs> All, All right, right, get out of here. Go do Take your care. stuff. Bye. Bye. Thanks.